Okay, uh, I'm really excited for this one. This should be a pretty good one for Bitcoiners and people who want to live off-grid and pursue more free life and also use free money at the same time. So for this episode, I have uh, Coinsure NZ joining me, and that's his Twitter name. How are you doing? Not too bad, man. Yourself? I'm doing really well. I... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And, and if you could just give kind of a, maybe a little bit of a background about yourself so the audience has some more familiarity, that would be great. Sure. So um, uh, I currently work as a software engineer at uh, Swan Bitcoin. Um, my kind of background in Bitcoin, I got it in, in 2014. Uh, kind of what attracted me or interested me originally was I was reading about it uh, in the aftermath of the Silk Road trial. Um, prior to that, you know, for 10 years, I was working as a police officer. So uh, I kind of, uh, based on um, uh, my experience there and then reading about the, the the Silk Road trial, I was like, wow, this is amazing that, that you know, it was going on for this long on the, right in front of their nose and there was nothing they could do about it. So I was really, really interested in it. And so I, you know, uh, then jumped in and explored, um, you know, at that time Silk Road was gone. So it was more like Evolution and Agora and a few other darknet markets. And, and um, my interest initially was just how those kind of um, kind of uh, enterprises could operate. Um, and then, of course, as part of that, you know, obviously Bitcoin was the financial medium they, they used to make the whole thing work. And so I got interested in looking at Bitcoin then. Uh, and, you know, like everyone, you know, once you finally get your head around it, you're down the rabbit hole and nothing else matters, you know. So uh, that was like uh, late 2014. Uh, so I got in uh, then and, and um, have been involved since then. I, I didn't really do anything involved with the industry for sort of three years. Uh, but then 2017 happened and, um, you know, all of a sudden, not only is this the thing I spend all my time reading about, it's also, you know, the, the thing that's maybe the most financially secure of anything in my life so i started looking about how to um, how to get involved otherwise and decided went to a bunch of conferences decided the most easy way was just simply to teach myself learn how to code uh, so that was about three years ago and um, just kind of worked my way up and to be able to be a software developer like i am today uh, i guess kind of what's also of relevance to, to what we're talking about today is uh, i'm the person that as i understand it still has the record for the uh, longest offline Bitcoin transaction at, um, oh, God, I'm on the spot at the moment, I think 17.6 kilometers, I think is the distance, uh, which is with the, the GoTenna um, system and Samurai Wallet. Um, so basically that involves sending an, a Bitcoin transaction offline with no internet connection over that sort of distance uh, to be able to send that through. And that was back in uh, 2018, I think I did that. So, so yeah, that's to me. So cool, so cool. Yeah, I uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump into that and talk about how you you don't need the internet to send a Bitcoin transaction, which most people are not aware of, and uh, it's really awesome that this is a possibility. It's funny too, yeah. Um, having a Bitcoin obsession, you know, it, it's a lot better than you know, like being obsessed with art. <laughs> you know, like being obsessed with Bitcoin will, can can mm -hmm. often pay off and fund your yeah, fund your politics. obsession. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Okay. So, so I kind of want to start off with the more high level perspective. I mean, a lot of people who are, uh, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners and just, you know, people who believe in freedom are talking about 
pursuing a more free life, getting out of the city, you know, being independent, uh, you know, living off grid, um, you know, that sort of a lifestyle. And I, I really do believe that within five to 10 years, we're going to see a lot of these places pop up out of the city. And, you know, that's, that's my opinion. Um, that being said, you know, the, the question of, okay, well, you know, Bitcoin's great. There's only 21 million that can ever exist. You know, it's a lot better than what the federal Reserve's doing, just printing up tons of money. And, but what if they shut off the internet? Right. What if the internet goes down? So that's uh, I, th I think it's a worthy question. Uh, I think it's worth exploring. So maybe we could just start off and <clears throat> before we dive into, you know, OK, how would how would this look like as far as sending, you know, Bitcoin transactions in your Citadel without the internet? But first, I mean, what what is your what are your thoughts on what would happen to Bitcoin if the internet just got shut off globally simultaneously? Yes, I mean, imagine there was a switch you could switch and that could just switch off all the internet. That in itself, I think, is an extremely unlikely scenario. Um, and even if that was to happen, I mean, you could still... If, depend, I don't know, maybe this is some EMP or some weird thing or other, but you know, even if there was like an off switch... Where some you know government Bogdanov conspiracy or something managed to like actually switch off the internet. I mean, you could still have like intranets where you know you could run wires like LAN cables between computers and still communicate over that. So, so that's kind of like an important thing to keep as like a, a bit of an aside of you know just shutting off the internet is not a clear uh, kind of term, right? You know, we we understand what the internet is, but it can be kind of many different things. So that being said, like you just imagine you could switch off you know the ability for um for me to communicate with you you know where i believe we're in the same country at the moment you know so so uh that or you know for me to communicate with someone in another country or or overseas or whatever so in regards to bitcoin i mean you got to understand as part of the bitcoin protocol there's several kind of different parts if you like and one of them is the peer-to-peer -peer communication uh, protocol which is how Block, blocks, uh, messages, um, transactions, and other things get passed between computers, right? So if that that would is would if the internet was cut off, that is what would be stopped, right? So you could still, you know, your, the ledger that you had on your computer and all the bitcoins that you have are fine. That would change nothing, you know. Uh, you just wouldn't be able to communicate with other um, nodes. Basically, meaning that that the blockchain would halt at that particular moment. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't, like, let's say that you know it was like a like how you'd imagine a power failure, right? Like it goes out for five minutes and then it comes back on. In that circumstance, it would just mean that that you know that, that the network would halt for five minutes, as in terms of transactions and and uh, the propagation of blocks and, and other stuff. But you know, you could still be mining uh, while that's going on, and and obviously your your bitcoins aren't affected. You know that you hold that they're not affected by that situation at all. So it's only really the ability to communicate um, changes in the ledger that are affected by that. Um, the protocol, uh, a big pun, by the internet going down. So it's not like an apocalyptic, it's all over scenario. It just means you can't really transact or can't really move anything forward with it. So th that would uh, certainly, it would impact its ability to be, to be used as like a medium of exchange, but not necessarily as a store of value, presuming that at some point in the future, you could, you know, boot it up and, and get it rolling again. So it would, it, would, it would kind of hold its ability to be used, but not necessarily to store value. So that's, that's kind of, 
the the biggest thing that you know and there's a lot of other flow on things about you know well no one could perhaps download a wallet or or other other bits and pieces that are kind of side issues of not being able to access the internet itself but as far as the bitcoin protocol goes it's actually not like a total disaster scenario it just kind of like means it's halted but presuming you could like restart this at some point it just means nothing is able to be changed until that uh, restart happens and uh, as i said you could theoretically be mining this whole time and you know as soon as the um the, the internet comes back on, you could broadcast this chain of blocks that you've mined for, uh, let's say it was down for a week, you could be mined for a whole week and you could have a number of blocks building each other, you're all solo mined. Um, you'd run a high chance that, you know, that would not be the longest, um, the chain, the uh, most amount of uh, accumulated proof of work and it'd be invalid and you've just wasted all, all the electricity of use for but you know that's could still be done right so you know you could still be kind of transacting uh by you could be transacting and as long as those were valid blocks as soon as i got broadcast everyone else would see that so um so yeah it's, it's not a total disaster scenario but it more just impacts the ability to communicate and to move the network forward is, is the biggest impacts and the internet in general which means um i think you know it's another thing that's important to remember is you know in that scenario there's a lot of other shit <laughs> which is it's going to be, you know, the, the wall, it's not like uh, the, um, that, that means that Bitcoin is uh, useless. I mean, the banking system is pretty much useless in that situation. A lot yeah. of the other infrastructure that we've built our monster side. Uh-oh. Oh, you're breaking up a bit. In that situation. So, so, you know, it would kind of stop Bitcoin, but in that sense, it would actually be a slightly more resilient than a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so first of all, can you hear me okay? You were breaking up uh, a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's yeah, a really... Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, so that's a really good point. I mean, other like other systems would also go down too. Like if, if you don't want to use Bitcoin because the internet could be potentially, you know, maybe there's some like kill switch somewhere and... Uh, you know, we shouldn't use email then, and we shouldn't use any of the other services that we, our lives, you know, depend on uh, for the internet. So I, I don't, for, for that criticism to be used against Bitcoin, it's like, all right, other things fall into that category as well. And, you know, the internet probably wouldn't go off forever too. And it's, I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's extremely, extremely, extremely unlikely that, uh, you know, the internet would be shut off simultaneously all over the world and not one place would have internet that, that can run a Bitcoin node or et cetera. Um, so, uh, so yeah. And then, and then I think you also brought up a really good point that Bitcoin is probably more robust than other networks because I mean, unlike the internet, which, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it appears that, you know, the internet has gotten, has only gotten more and more centralized since its inception. And Bitcoin is the most decentralized network on the planet because you've got tens of thousands of nodes all over the, all over the world, all these miners all over the world. So, um, Maybe you could just elaborate briefly on on how Bitcoin is more robust compared to other other systems in this situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's kind of exactly as you explained. It's it's well um, geographically distributed. Uh, it's run by a community of people that have a very paranoid <laughs> approach to the disaster scenarios, and, and that you know are always thinking about something like this and trying to prepare as well as possible. 
Um, so, I mean, that, that I think that's probably the the, the biggest kind of easiest way to put it is the cultural difference of, you know, the banking system goes down on that scenario. Uh, and let, let's, again, let's just say it's a 24-hour outage, right? So you have a return to normality straight away and, and um, you know, um, things come back. But there is a period where you know stuff can't go on, and people for that twenty-four hour period are wondering how long this is going to go on, right? Now, the impact of that on traditional financial services, you know, just the the normies, if you like, is a lot more severe than Bitcoin because I think Bitcoin is you know well prepared for this situation. Um, it doesn't impact their ability to, um, to to hold their wealth in a sense, whereas you know I, I think something like that would shake your faith in the traditional system more than bitcoin where you've got like a you know cryptographic um ledger that that you know if the internet goes down well it's just not able to be changed so the banking system if the internet goes down i think it's raised a lot more questions about the um the stability uh, and the foundations of that particular system because it's just built to be reliant on on the internet and, and fun society functioning as normal a lot more than bitcoin is so um so in that sense you know i think like the disruption that you'd see would be kind of more for the traditional um system than it would be for bitcoin because of course you know as i said before transactions wouldn't be able to be propagated but it's it's able to the, the network i mean what you're describing there is no different than like um for you individually as a user is if you lost the internet, right? You had a power outage or um, you know, your, your cell signal went out or you know, you're in an area with no service. That's kind of effectively what you're describing for a Bitcoin user, right? And that's not a biggie. No one freaks out about that. It's annoying that you can't use it, but but it's it's certainly not game over. But you know, it's that's a lot more disruptive to 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 some of these services that are you know really, really reliant on 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 that, not just to be able to not just to be your financial services provider but a lot of the other stuff that goes around it so so um you know i mean it's it, it the internet going out would be incredibly disruptive to both but i just think a bit, a bitcoin is in the nature of the network itself is a bit more accustomed to um not having like a perfectly smooth <laughs> provide uh provisor of services uh as opposed to the traditional system where people are like kind of expecting this sort of stuff so um so i mean they both be you know pretty seriously impacted but i just think like bitcoiners and bitcoiners are more used to um uh, uh a, a less than ideal uh customer experience let's put it that yeah. way you know whereas uh, if that was to go on with the traditional system that that causes a lot more disruption because people are already <coughs> expecting um that kind of level of service yeah no that's very true i i i think we're a, a healthy level of paranoid i mean uh we're we're paranoid just to the point where we're we're gonna make sure we're okay in in these sort of uh situation and you know i mean at this point in the world uh i don't know about you but nothing really surprises me anymore <laughs> so so i think yeah no, you know no. <laughs> yeah so yeah exactly so just being prepared is is always a good idea you know um <laughs> The the next kind of topic that I I would like to go down the rabbit hole with is okay. So let's say you know this this citadel vision does come to fruition, right? Let's say Bitcoiners we're all ideologically aligned, generally speaking, right? We all kind of believe in freedom. We believe in uh, you know the 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 principle of I don't mess with you if you don't mess with me. Everybody has a, light, a right to be left alone if you know they're not harming anyone, right? Um, and we band together, and all over parts of the earth, we we buy land, 
and uh, we start building and we start, you know, growing our own food and we have our own cattle and we have our own energy, whether it's through solar or hydroelectric power uh, or any other forms of, you know, of power. And we're, you know, we're good. We're living that life. We're creating our new sort of societies, really, which I that just excites me so much because at this point, you know, we like Bitcoiners are basically citizens of a country, but the country is not in any one physical place, if that makes sense, you know, and the next step, in my opinion, is just to set that up like physically in different locations and just like, you know, just like uh, the, the, the Bitcoin network is decentralized. Citadels are like uh, almost like decentralized forms of one country because you know we all believe in bitcoin and freedom kind of a rant there but um let's say you had you're on your citadel uh what would your setup look like for you know for a disaster scenario well uh i have a slightly different opinion on the citadels thing and that and that is that um you know, banding together in one location is, in, in my opinion, a less than ideal uh, strategic approach to um, what you're trying to achieve in that situation. You know, I think um, we've got some pretty good examples of how that pans out. And one of the best ones, the simplest ones, if you want to see it, is a, there's a Netflix documentary called Wild Wild Country uh, about what I think is probably, you know, going to be how a few of these things pan out. Um, so in, in my personal opinion, I think a better model for this to be is something like the Freemasons, um, uh, Jewry or the Jews, um, something like the Mafia or the Yakuza, um, even if you want to get into some pretty extreme examples, something like the Taliban, where, where you have a group of individuals who have a, a clear ideological uh, alignment and, and kind of almost like a secret society, if you like, where um, you, there's, a, there's a club that you're a member of and, and you're able to identify yourselves, but it's not located in one geographic specific location. Um, and that mm. I think is just a much more resilient model in that it is more decentralized and it's not able to be kind of located or found or grasped, if you like. It's like you're trying to grab water and it just runs between your fingers, right? Uh, you know, the state is very well uh, accustomed and has you know, a lot of experience with symmetrical warfare. But uh, when you have something like this, and, and I'm, I'm guessing from your background, you, you know, you, you'd have somewhat of a taste of this is when you have that asymmetrical yep. warfare where the enemy is, you can't perceive them, you know, from that, you know, a, a, you know, a non-combatant and the enemy, you know, they're almost the same. That's a much harder enemy for an apparatus like the state to engage with. Um, and so my ideal citadel setup based on that would be something more along the lines of, I think resilience is more along. Um, let, let's have an example of like, a, you know, the favelas in, in, um, in Brazil or, you know, the colonials in, in Mexico or whatever. You got there and a lot of the electricity. In fact, I was reading an article about this um, in, in Mexico um, where um, there's something to the tune of, I think, several billion dollars of electricity is um, illegally appropriated from the network. People just hook up like a Jimmy Wires setup where they run some wires from the, the power pole and kind of like steal electricity, right? Yeah, I've heard of that. So I, I think the, the idea of resilience situation is to um, be embedded within a society and to operate systems like that where you kind of like coattail in on, on other places where it's very hard for them to be able to... Um, to narrow it down or to find you, particularly if you have, 
you know, some of those things like the favelas, they are like I'm describing where perhaps they're in a central location, but they also have like a tight knit community where, um, you know, you can kind of go in there, but you still can't find that, you know, if you've ever watched any stuff about policing in those environments, it's like kind of impossible to do because the, the people just disappear and you can't really kind of find them in any one location. They're a lot less um, kind of geographically tied to where they are. So, uh, so you know, I think that to, in my, that would be my ideal Citadel setup, to be honest with you, dude, is like, um, okay, here's, here's one thing I did in the past was like, uh, I used to have a, a Dragonman T1 and um, what I did was I plugged in at my, uh, when I used to um, work for a, um, an education company. I plugged it in at the, um, the, uh, the office when no one was there. And so it like ran and had like on the timer uh, switch and stuff. So it ran after everyone left the office and then switched off before everyone came into the office. And so I was kind of mining on someone else's electricity and someone else's internet, you know what I mean? Uh, and that would be the sort of scenario I would um, kind of describe where, you know, you see the same thing with people using like uh, cannabis crops, right? Where they're like, leaves uh, uh, relatively easy to identify electricity signature. So how people get around that is they just hijack other places' electricity, right? You know, and therefore, you know, if you go to where that signature is coming from, it's at least this won't be the same house. You know, maybe it's the next house or whatever. There's even there's ways to get around that, right? So that would be my kind of ideal citadel setup. You know, is, is I think, um, yeah, having something where you, I don't know, you, you've got like a, a satellite and some other kind of communication method, but it's in some castle-like compound, right? Is but it's easier to fix that. You just like, you know, surround it with tanks, put some sort of like, uh, you know, radio or other uh, frequency jammers around it. And you've kind of like shut off that situation. But if that's happening in a, you know, within a community, well, you've got a whole uh, neighborhood that's pissed off because they can't access the internet or whatever it is because you're jamming the stuff, you know, that, that's going on within it. And if you've done your job properly and you're making sure that just like these other um organizations like the mafia, the Yakuza, whatever, where you're taking care of the people in the community as well, right? Where yep. you, you know, you're not just ext um, extorting them for money, but you're also providing services and, and like an, an, a shadow government alternative to, to the state. It's kind of what the cartel people, does in Mexico. Yep. Exactly. Dude, exactly. <laughs> so they're not going to, um, you know, if you're doing your job properly in that regard, they're going to take care of you too. And they're not going to just go and rat you out and throw you out. So, so uh, that would be my kind of ideal setup. And, and in saying that it's hard to like give a, a straight answer because that would depend very much on the geographical situation you're in, the, the you know, the peculiarities of the, the culture and the, the politics in that particular specific Area, you know, it could be different suburb to suburb, but you know, I think just that mentality is is a smarter one to to have as far as um, instantiating something like this, where where rather than it being like a, a physical setup, it's it's more about utilizing what's around you and kind of sneaking in under the um, under the covers and uh, utilizing something like that because you don't beat the state by fighting it head on in a force versus force kind of uh, scenario. You beat it by Make it impossible for them to be able to target something. Um, so, so yeah, that, that would be kind of my ideal citadel setup. Yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. Um, yeah, it's funny you you brought up uh, our former professions. You're an ex-cop. I'm ex-military. So maybe that's uh, largely related to why we're interested in this topic. Um, and you see the the value in it, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we 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 think about this sort of. I think we think about this sort of stuff because we know how nefarious the state can be. One hundred percent. 
Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, I, I can understand that perspective as far as not wanting to have like maybe one centralized citadel, but maybe sort of a, you know, a, a spread out community in a more localized area. Uh, something like that. I, I get that. I think, um, I think it also depends on where you're at. For example, I've, I've mentioned this many times, the United States, the the federal authority in the United States is just massive. I mean, they, they have so much money, so much guns, all these, you know, they got the alphabet boys, all the three letter agencies. And in Mexico, things are a lot different. Um, you know, I, I've been to, I don't, I don't know if I've told you about Chiron. Uh, maybe I mentioned it too much. My, my viewers have probably heard it like almost every episode, but it's so fascinating to me because it's this place and, uh, the state of Michoacan in Mexico, where 10 years ago, the people in this town of 36,000 people uh, kicked out their their mayor and the police and the cartel and the National Guard, like all government. And, uh, you know, they, they've been sovereign for 10 years and now the federal government just doesn't even mess with them. They just recognize that area as a sovereign, sovereign uh, community. So... Obviously, I, I don't, you know, I wouldn't want anything that extreme, uh, but I, I think, you know, Mexico is, it's a lot more doable to have something like that set up versus the United States where you have, I'm sure you're familiar with Waco, Texas. You have situations like Waco that happened mm-hmm. where those people really weren't harming anybody and the feds just came in and shot a bunch of women and kids. So, uh yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to move into kind of the more like technical. I mean, if maybe I could paint uh, a Citadel scenario for you and we could move into a little bit more of the technical conversation. I don't expect you to have all the answers or anything, but just kind of a high level brainstorm sort of uh, idea, if that's OK. And if you have any anything else to comment, then cool. then feel free. Go right ahead. Cool. Yeah. So let's say, I mean. All right, here's here's what I'm thinking. If you had uh, running water, right, you could generate hydroelectric power and you had a dish to receive. So, I mean, for anybody that's that's not aware, Blockstream, the company Blockstream has satellites in the air where you can receive Bitcoin data without using the internet. And there are actually a lot of places on earth that don't even have access to internet. So even under a situation that isn't like an apocalyptic scenario per se, there are still a lot of people without internet who want to participate in the Bitcoin network and they want to uh, run a node, for example, then what you can do is you can set a dish up, uh, point it in the direction of the nearest Blockstream satellite and then receive uh, data uh, from the Bitcoin blockchain and have it updated. So I'm just kind of painting a picture here. And once I'm done, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. So that's one thing I would do, right? I would have a, a dish pointed to the blockstream satellite. And then I would have, I'm thinking I would have go tennis for really every, every business, let's say in the area. Every business in the area had go tennis just in case, you know, if our local, if our internet went out, we could still locally transact with each other. And those GoTennas would would have to be, in the end, in a mesh network, they would have to be connected to an internet uh, access point, right? So eventually, 
you know, all the dotenas in that local community in this mesh network, we're sending information to each other. And then that information gets relayed from dotena to dotena. And eventually it hits an internet access point, And then it broadcasts all of those transactions that we made internally offline. It broadcasts those transactions to the Bitcoin blockchain. So, uh, so that's what I'm thinking. And other than that, I mean, maybe solar power as well to power, you know, your, your, uh, your dotenas or, you know, your phones or whatever, whatever else you need. Um, and I think that would actually be a doable system as long as you have somewhere accessible to your, to your dotenas, somewhere that has an internet access point. It doesn't even have to be near your citadel though. So, um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you do you have any other? Uh, do you have any other? Do you think this would be a doable setup? Do you have any other ideas as far as how to make it more more robust? Yeah, I I, I definitely do. I mean, uh, kind of, it would be ideal for a, for a situation like you described there, and and I think probably a good uh, hypothetical scenario would be you, you've created a new kind of uh, settlement or town, right? Where let's say you just get a plot of land and it's in the middle of fucking nowhere. And you show up with a, I don't know, like even a bunch of tents and you start, you know, creating some more permanent structures there or whatever. Now, there's no uh, infrastructure there as far as power or internet or anything else, right? So you might have cell signal or you might have none um, in there. Um, and if you didn't have the cell signal, well, you know, the issue is going to be how do we connect to the internet, right? You know, because um, you, you'd probably have to rely on, I don't know, maybe you can pay a private company for this or rely on waiting for the government to install it and you might be waiting a long time for that um so the you know that how something like a go could work is you could um set up a relay in an adjacent town or even you know uh, have something as kind of um simple as a cell phone with data connection on the top of a nearby hill that was able to get like a couple of bars that was connected to a GoTenna and, you know, you'd have to power it and keep your eye on it somehow, but, you know, that would be relatively easy to Jimmy rig something like that. And that could be a way where you could get kind of beam internet in, or at least for basic stuff, like um, sending your, uh, sending a Bitcoin transaction uh, that, that kind of system could work. So it'd be ideal for something like that, where you've created a kind of a settlement to, to switch it in. But um, so the, the, there's two issues really, right? So as far as the Bitcoin stuff goes, you've got to be able to receive and to send, right? So you've got to be able to receive new blocks. If you broadcast a transaction, um, you know, you've got to be able to um, obtain the, um, make sure that it's gone through and that uh, it's been transacted, uh, sorry, it's been received on the other end and been accepted into a block and everything like that. So you've got to be able to receive the blockchain itself. Um, though not necessarily that's going to be uh, impossible without it, but really, you know, you're going to need that to, to, to be able to make it work and also to be able to send it out, right? So the, the receiving you can all do through the Blockstream satellite, which is relatively easy to, to set up if you're, you know, uh, if you're able to get yourself a dish and you've got access to a computer and you're able to power the kind of stuff like this, it's getting the transaction out. Now, as far as getting the transaction out, this is like a really, uh, there's a really good talk by um, Andreas Antonopoulos. And this is one of the first talks uh, I ever saw when I got into Bitcoin. And this is one of the ones that like really set off the light bulb in my head and kind of changed my whole mind was, uh, it's called um, money as a content type. And in that one, he talks about a couple of scenarios where, you know, if you wanted to send a Bitcoin transaction, a Bitcoin transaction itself is like, uh, you know, we think about this things like a, like a credit card, right? We, if you were to give someone your credit card number, 
or they could go use it to steal their money, right? But a Bitcoin transaction, right. there's nothing secure in a Bitcoin transaction. So you could print that on a billboard. You could send it via smoke signal. You could write it on a piece of paper and give it to someone who's going to jump in their car and take it to the next town. And someone is going to scan an OCR, physically copy over those digits, and then broadcast that on the computer. So GoTanner is certainly one way, but there's infinite ways that you can smuggle that out and send it out. And, and you know, it's it's to to kind of return for a second to some of those apocalyptic scenarios that you talked about before. I mean, that you know, if you're in a really oppressive uh, regime, you know, that that could be that blockchain. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, you could memorize a block uh, a Bitcoin transaction. That'd be kind of hard to do, but you could do it. Or it could be like on a piece of paper tucked inside, you know, some secreted in some orifice in your body. And as long as you could get that out and then broadcast it, you know, you can transact on the network. So, so um, it, would, it would be ideal for, for a situation like I described, like a settlement sort of one. Um, and I think that's kind of where, where it's best set up where, you know, you've got, you know, things are relatively kind of normal. Uh, you know, you've, you've got some basic infrastructure as far as the, the housing shelter stuff goes, but you just don't have the internet connectivity and it's a way that you get around it. But um, there's plenty of other ways, other ways that you can use as far as the transacting goes, there's plenty of other ways you can get around this. Same thing with the blockchain itself. I mean, you could do sneak and edit where someone could download the blockchain, send you a USB and you wouldn't be up to, up to the minute, but you'd be able to catch up on what had gone on the last week or whatever like that. And you could still transact with the Bitcoin network over a system like that would be less than ideal. And there's a couple of little caveats to go with it, but um, you know, those are all possible. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. Okay. So you mentioned, yeah. So you were just mentioning that there are different ways that you can do it other than just uh, just a Jotena. Um, so that being said, you, know, you, were, you were talking about a, a cell tower. You could, you could use the connectivity of the cell tower. Uh, could you elaborate on that a little bit more? And, and maybe after that, we could just go into some of the different ways. I know, I know other than that, I mean, there's, you can use a ham radio. And Nick Sabo, uh, a few years ago, did a pres- presentation on using wheat signal radio waves for long distance communications. So I don't know if you've looked into that at all, but um, yeah, maybe you could just elaborate more on, you know, using that, uh, you mentioned beam internet from a cell tower. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I was more meaning that you could like, uh, so you, let's say you're in a valley and you're, you know, in the middle of nowhere that you got no cell reception, right? But if you are able to get to the top of a nearby mountain, you might be able to get like one bar or something like that on, on, a, on a cell connection. So using a system like that, you know, and this could be 20 kilometers away, you could use GoTenner to bridge that physical gap. And then when you got to that connected uh, phone with the one bar that's sitting on top of the mountain, that could then broadcast it out to the kind of the greater internet. So, so I mean, and like, you know, I, I'm certainly not um, smart or technical enough to understand how you could do this, but maybe there is some ways to, to even like jimmy into a, a cell signal itself. Like uh, on, that, on that example, I do know in this country um, that uh, the, if you climb up some of the cell towers, there's some other... Uh, communication apparatus attached to it that apparently you know some other organizations have just gone ahead and and added to the to the to the system some I mean, some uh, other organizations <laughs> yeah, yeah well, <laughs> i believe it's right but, uh, but i mean yeah so so there are there i believe there are other ways like if you had some someone that was you know an ex um cell tower technician or something like that there may be some other ways like that where you can just like rig into existing infrastructure. Um, but going to the Nick Zabo uh, stuff with the 
to wave radio. Yeah, uh, funnily enough, actually, when I uh, put out that thread about the GoTender thing, he actually PM'd me about it and said, like, him and Elaine were working on this. And uh, oh, cool. I really wanted to get involved uh, in doing it. But um, but uh, ham radio requires um, a bit of uh, some specialized equipment and a bit of study. And uh, it's also, uh, like, unless you've got a license, it's illegal to do certain things like, uh, for example, uh, MVK, I can't remember Lane or MVK. One of them sent the other one. No, no, actually, this was Shaw's Provost, I think, uh, said it to MVK. They sent a transaction, but because legally you're not allowed to send an encrypted message over um, ham radio, they just, how they did was actually send a private key. So it's not actually a Bitcoin transaction. They just sent a private key. So uh, there's some things, issues like this about ham radio where technically it, this is possible to, to communicate uh, and it's something i already wanted to try and do with australia like someone from new zealand to australia but then there was all the the legal issues and i thought well if i'm going to be broadcast to the whole world i've done this offline bitcoin transaction but it's technically it's illegal and uh, it might not be the same issue you know making a ton, of, ton yeah. of noise about right so 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 it is possible but when i looked into it it was just uh, quite a lot of work to be able to um, get my head around the technical side of it it was legal issues and, you know, I was just super busy at the time with trying to like actually learn how to be an okay software developer. Uh, so I, I never pursued it uh, more than that, but it's definitely a, a possibility and something that you can look into. Uh, so, so that, that would work. And, and, and look, dude, any, any method of communication that you can imagine where you can send a small amount of um, data over a, a space and then propagate somewhere else is, is suitable for the Bitcoin network. Like Bitcoin doesn't need to run on the internet necessarily it's by far the best communication medium that's most suitable for purpose but it could theoretically run on some other alternative system um you know that that uh but um that uh it would just need you know there's other technical considerations about why that is you know well uh, so, just to comment so, yeah. on that i i guess i mean as far as community well as far as transactions it could but eventually you would still have to have you know some form of internet for mining Right, I mean, not not necessarily. I mean, you could mine um, using shortwave radio theoretically, where you know you run the miners, you find a block, and then you broadcast it via shortwave radio to another node that gets it, passes it on to another node. The issue with that is, as I understand, the amount of time that would take to propagate around the whole world is longer than ten minutes, and so therefore, you know, you're perpetually behind on the you know the average time it takes to find a Bitcoin block. Uh, and so that the kind of system breaks down in, in that regard. Like it could, could kind of work, but it would just get horribly out of sync. Um, hmm. and, and I believe, like as far as shortwave radio goes, you know, it's just it just takes that amount of time to bounce around the globe. You know, whereas the internet's immediate. You know, and if there is some other um, communication medium that I'm not thinking of right now that could do the similar job about going uh, intercontinental, uh, like crossing seas without using the internet. The same thing could be said. It's just the time of propagation, and the la the latency about um, blocks that would cause issues, you know. Because even even if let's say that you can make it work, you know, that the the time for it to bounce around there was five minutes, you still got some latency issues about two miners, you know, kind of su su uh, simultaneously or close to simultaneously finding a new block, um, and the one that propagates the best is the one that's gonna you know uh, win the win the bitcoins, and so that you know runs into a whole set of side issues about. If you're using a technology that's not as efficient as the internet about um, 
having to uh, optimize for that block propagation to be able to make sure that you get the return on your investment uh, with uh, with your mining. So, so that's a side thing. But I mean, I, I think it, like it, dude, this is a, an important time to also highlight is, I mean, that, that same point I made about, and this is again, standing from that uh, Andreas talk is, you know, so let's say there's some issues where, you know, they're, they're trying to block the Bitcoin. The internet itself works, but they're trying to block Bitcoin, right? You know, they're, blocking port 8333 or some other method or they're using deep packet inspection to to um, somehow identify what a Bitcoin transactions and block them. You, know, you could easily just recode uh, like a Bitcoin transaction or a Bitcoin block as a series of smileys on Skype or on Facebook or whatever, and then hmm. propagate it through through that network, right? And if you take that idea and run with it, man, there's some crazy resilience because it's just data and there's a million ways that we have to decode and encode this data. Or you could like it do, you could put it in, a, in an image, you know, embed it in the EXIF data or use some sort of stenography technique to embed it in an image, post it on your Facebook profile, and then someone knows to be checking that every, you know, uh, second, and then you get a new photo, they download it, they decode it, they use the same methodology to broadcast it somewhere else. So there's a lot of smart ways you can get around. Um, I got I got a comment on that route. censorship. Real quick. Yeah, that that Go is ahead. so cool. So cool and so sneaky. So you're saying you should take, uh, just to get a little more granular, you could uh, take the as far as sending the transaction, I mean, you, you could encrypt it in some sort of like image or you know some sort of encrypted message and then send it to another person so they can receive a transaction or i just want to make sure i'm on the same page yeah i mean it, dude it's just data so you can obfuscate that data and in, in anything if the internet is working and the only way you can communicate that is by sending pictures of great leader jim kong jong il to other people you can just embed that in pixels in that data, which to the you know to the outside observer it looks exactly like a picture of the great leader. But if you run it through a particular piece of software that knows how to what to look for and how to decode it, there's a Bitcoin transaction in there. And so you can just be passing around what look like propaganda images all day, but really you're secretly you know, trans, you know, um, propagating Bitcoin transactions and blocks. That is absolutely and again, it's awesome. Not that, yeah, that's not the most efficient. But, you know, you could automate that and make that work. You know, if you had the internet, I, I think you could probably make that that work. It would be definitely not ideal. and It would not be a, anywhere near as efficient system as we know it today. But that could work, right? If you had the internet and it was just out to be posted on some social media site and then, you know, someone knew where to look. And, you know, if you, it's easy to create redundancy for that where, you know, um, you could even use some sort of onion or other randomized technology where, you know, it's not even, uh, uh, you know, th this this one person's profile that you're looking at all the time. It's some random uh, profile that's selected by the, by an algorithm, but everyone knows who's running the software knows where to go in that moment. And that's, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to stop something like that. And if you do, you know, you just create a new algorithm that, that you know, now they don't know where to look. And you can play that count nurse game for, you know, it's a, it's a lot easier for you to create some new software than it is for them to be able to shut something like that down. So, so there's a lot of alternative ways that you can approach this in a scenario Jeez. like that. Yeah, the possibility, possibilities seem endless. Um, so you would be mm -hmm. just in that information that you're concealing and, you know, hiding. That would be a PSBT. Oh, it could be anything, dude. It could be a block, could be a, um, a message from one node to another, could be a big, uh, a big 
Bitcoin transaction itself. Uh, it could be just an encrypted communication, right? It could be anything. Huh. Got it. You, you can just embed that data in. There's tons of software on GitHub and, and even much more user-friendly stuff out there where you can embed this stuff now and it's freely available in, in an image or all sorts of other methods of obfuscation. Um, and, you know, that that's, you know, that's, that's the way it could work. And, and again, you know, like I said, even this would not make it a, an efficient system, but you could even theoretically, theoretically, I emphasize that, do this all by sneaking it, right? Where, you know, someone creates a block and then they put it on a USB stick and then take it to someone who copies it and takes it to two friends. And then, you know, and this would take forever to go around the world, but it's not impossible. Um, and if you take that idea and, and it's just a way to look at what the possibilities are, there's plenty of far more efficient technologies than than that, which are out there, which are alternatives to the internet as we understand it today, where you know it's it's open and there's no real restrictions on how you use it. Jeez. Yeah, that's 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 really amazing. It's uh the the Bitcoin community is only getting stronger and only more difficult to uh to stop, really. Um huh. Pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing that you can send really, I mean, as you're saying, really any information theoretically anywhere through uh, frequencies, through just the ether, through whatever this stuff is in the air, through, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's just mind blowing to me that we have that sort of a technology. We, we live in the future. And like I was saying, it's not even that, like, you know, again, go back to the smoke signals thing. You could just have a dude on a mountain, like in the old days, with a binocular or a looking glass or whatever you used, and someone like making smoke signals, and you can propagate it without any technology whatsoever, you know, just through line of sight. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not even even thinking in that level is, is beyond what's is more complicated than what is theoretically necessarily impossible as far as you know, um, making this thing resilient to, to be able to stop the propagation networks. Again, not a very efficient technology that would work in a global sense, but theoretically, you know, I mean, that smoke signal could be to the guy in the next town who then has an internet connection, right? And then you're good. And that would work relatively hmm. efficiently as far as just sending transactions goes. Um, but, you know, it just wouldn't work very well as far as trying to propagate around the whole world. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the possibilities are, are endless. Um, Super exciting stuff. So just kind of wrapping up here, as far as uh, Lightning, you know, I, I know we talked a little bit briefly about this, but uh, Bitcoin is, is getting more and more developed. Uh, if you were to talk about Lightning with the average person interested in the crypto or Bitcoin space or whatever, a lot of people are saying, you know, Lightning is never, never coming out and it's taking forever and Lightning's here. So a lot more developments will come out in the future as well. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about how some of this could be possible with Lightning, if if you have anything to say about that. Um, yeah, I mean, Lightning makes it slightly more complicated just because of the you know the um, the expire of the HTLC um, and you know, kind of performing the role of, you know, what you'd use a watchtower for, you know, where, whereby um, your ability to, to view, uh, or catch someone cheating on uh, the closure of your channel is, is a bit more difficult in that scenario. Just quick and, question. Uh, Sorry to, to interrupt. Honest, something. Uh, SGLC, could you just define that for, for anybody who may uh, HTLC, hash time lock contracts. Got it. Hash okay. time lock contracts. So that's, you know, that the, the, the transaction that's the basis of a, a kind of lightning channel. Got it. Thank um, you. 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the closure of those things, you know, and the, to, to, sorry to, to make it really basic so anyone doesn't understand any of this understands. Um, basically, uh, the, the Lightning Network has a technology or has a systems in place where if someone was to um, broadcast a transaction, which was a, a cheap transaction in an older state of the the um, the channel, because Lightning channels are just basically you're trading versions, different versions of who has what. So you're just kind of like uh, you're updating the the ledger, if you like, or the, the counter about who, who how much is owed on the tab to each person. And um, any of those things is cryptographically valid and someone could broadcast that. Um, and how the lightning when it gets around that is if that gets detected, you can broadcast a um, punishment transaction, which basically lets you take all the, the Bitcoin in the channel, right? So that's how I avoid someone kind of gaming the system. And that's just a, kind of a, a technical um, snag of the way that lightning works, right? Which, yeah, and that, all this works perfectly fine with the internet, but that that means that if uh, if someone does that, there's a certain time where you have a, a, a kind of locked time to, to make that um uh, what I'm to say, make that uh, punishment transaction. And if you don't detect that, someone could you know, kind of theoretically steal your Bitcoins. And so in a scenario like this, where you're not able to efficiently detect that going on, there's some issues about that there. But there's, there's ways you can get around that about, and maybe it's using a slightly more trusted system about you know how, how you um, secure this kind of thing. But uh, I mean, things like Lightning, in a sense, not not quite, but I mean, they they kind of are like an offline Bitcoin transaction, and that you don't need to know what's happening on the blockchain for that uh, Lightning channel to go on. If you know what I mean, it's kind of like its own sure. separate kind of Bitcoin network. If you like, what's happening within that channel and within other channels and things like that. There. So um, look, it's not something I've done a lot of thinking in, and and it's um, I hope I'm getting this right. Lot forty nine protocol that Goten has done is is looking at how some of this can work. It's for in an offline scenario. But um I, I think that's probably, you know, how the ideal situation about how this would work. And again, look, I wouldn't pretend to 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 be able to really accurately talk about the specifics here, but it'll be some sort of thing we'd have, you know, that that's kind of like an, an, an a side chain, if you like, you know, which it's 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 a side network running that's based on Bitcoin, but it's running independent of Bitcoin itself. You could have a system like that where um yeah, somehow, let's say you had like a CB radio or, or even like a local mesh, mesh network where you've got a bunch of houses that are running a LAN cable between each other. They aren't connected to the internet, but you've got your own intranet. You could have your own kind of like system trading on that, which would work totally efficiently in that thing there. And then at some point yeah, at the end of the week, you know, you'd have final settlement where that would somehow make its way out to the Bitcoin network and get all settled. And then people can get hmm. their on chain. Uh, kind of Bitcoin, a situation like that. And again, like I might have missed some, I'm just kind of pulling this out of my head as we talk. I might have yeah. missed some technical subtleties there. But there are kind of alternative scenarios like that where you could take a Bitcoin transaction as being the basis of this thing. You know, so I've sent you on Bitcoin. Now we can kind of open a tab just on paper about, you know, um, you, uh, I now take some goods and services which subtract some of that one Bitcoin balance that I've sent to you. Um, and then later we work out you know, what we owe each other, and then we kind of figure that out through a Bitcoin transaction that settles who should have what at the end, right? Um, which is kind of in a really, really rough way how Lightning works. Um, so you could, you, but you could create some alternative system where that could just almost be an Excel spreadsheet, right? And you could figure out a way to, to settle that with a with a, a Bitcoin transaction at the end. If you had like a a community where everyone trusted each other, there's a high level of trust, and and um, everyone was happy with the way that works. 
you could implement a system something like that there again you know there's probably some, some technical hitches in that i'm just making up as i go but i mean there are systems like this which don't require immediate access to the bitcoin network if you have a, a, a higher level of trust you don't need to be relying on on what the blockchain does to be able to um have a, a system of exchange that's so fascinating that's so fascinating yeah so you could have uh yeah like like you just said a, a community of people they're all using lightning and they they get their day-to-day day-to-day transactions and at at some point in time maybe every week or something like that you have final settlement of those transactions and they all get broadcasted to the actual uh blockchain yeah right? in theory <laughs> in theory yes <laughs> yeah, might be but but i mean the, the idea of what you're talking about there certainly is possible it's just there might be some uh, some technical implementation issues about you know um, some um what if scenarios that you need to think about that there but the general idea is is totally possible uh, yeah so yeah i I, th- I think these conversations are really important because you know having that healthy level of paranoia where you know you, you want to have a system that's extremely robust and what bitcoin is going up against is like the most powerful system on earth, which is the central banking system. It just, and it's, it's the most powerful because they can just create wealth out of thin air and pay for anything they want with it, which is just absolutely immoral and ridiculous and archaic at this point. Um, so I think like the, the more these conversations happen, the more we, we entertain these ideas, I think eventually the market will provide. And I, I picture a demand for something like this growing because I mean, I, I'm bullish on citadels and with the citadels comes, you know, the desire to have uh, a robust network and, you know, just in case something goes wrong. And I think the market will provide for that. So I think it's, it's really, it's really only a matter of time, just like anything, just like, like I mentioned earlier, lightning, people were saying, ah, you know, it's, it's never, never happening. Lightning's taking forever. And then now we have lightning. Other things are going to happen too. And, and we're so new with this technology. The white paper was only released in 2008 and it's 2021. So we have, we have a lot of time to figure this stuff out. And I'm just so excited to see where this goes. And, um, the more the more i've i've personally looked looked into the idea of you know okay what if the internet was shut off or what if there was an apocalypse how would bitcoin deal with that the more confident i get uh and right now i mean yeah the reality is that and please correct me if i'm wrong but the reality is that if the internet was if there was some sort of crazy blackout event and all of the internet was shut off yeah bitcoin would not be functional uh, right now, but you know there are many ways we can get around it, and the reality is that it's it's probably never going to happen that simultaneously worldwide all the internet is shut off. More realistically, what's going to happen and what we've seen is you know authoritarian governments can shut off internet for for their citizens in a certain local area, or maybe a certain person is being censored and their their ISP. Uh, shuts off their services, stuff like that. It's probably realistically, it's probably just going to be a lot more localized. Where and the advantage is that somewhere else on planet Earth there is internet, and the Bitcoin blockchain can still run off of that internet. So, kind of um, static 
technical entity, if you like. Uh, but you know, hopefully, as I've just explained, you have the protocol. You're imagine you're only limited by imagination about some of the ways you can elaborate on how things are done currently and how you can use that to get around the censorship or other kind of issues and things like that there. And really, uh, you know, the, the sky is the limit more than you might think. I mean, Bitcoin has to run by the rules of Bitcoin. Uh, outside of those confines, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can get around this. And the most important way, you know, I, I think is things like, uh, and again, not to say I'm, I'm, correct here but you know perhaps the the different way i view the you know kind of the citadel thing there's different ways to approach this you've got to be creative about what is the right one for the scenario uh, and the, the the situation you're facing and so with all of these technologies and all these ideas you know just remember your imagination is a very important tool and don't be afraid to put it into place excellent point excellent point totally agree with that I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, you know, coming on the podcast and talking about this with me. I thank you so much. It was a it was a really good time exploring this with you, and uh, yeah, really appreciate it. So give them a follow, folks, on Twitter, Coinsure N Z C O I N S U R E N Z, as in New Zealand. So thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All Be right. Well. Cheers.